This is Carrie Ann Reed Brown, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and you are listening to episode 115 of Chasing Dreams. And I'm recording here on a Saturday morning, and I couldn't start my day off better, honestly. I have my friend Carrie Ann Reed Brown on. She is a Jamaican born, New York City based Caribbean influencer and founder of Carry On Friends. Carry On Friends is a platform that provides content and programming to support the development and success of Caribbean Americans in corporate and entrepreneurship. She is the host of the Carry On Friends podcast, one of the first podcasts to solely feature Caribbean American entrepreneurs and business professionals. The podcast has been featured as an editor's choice in iTunes under the categories Black Voices in Business and the Black Experience Collection. She has taken time out of her Saturday morning to spend it with us and share her story. And I can't be more thankful. Carrie Ann, how are you? Thank you for having me, Amy. That was um to, it's it's always interesting to hear people talk about yourself. You're like, that's me. But, <laughs> <laughs> I did that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm doing well on this very nice, cool fall-ish kind of Saturday morning. I'm feeling good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm always love having conversations with you. So uh-huh. we didn't actually have enough conversations when you and I met at Podcast Movement. Right, right, right. So guys, at Podcast Movement. There is a pre-session, I guess, the day before the conference officially begins. And it was a series of talks, about 10, 20 minutes, something like that. And this person goes up and she gives a very empowering, very you know, inspirational motivation. I'm like, man, she's, she's good. I mean, she really tells you how to chase your dreams, in essence. I mean, she should be on the show. And I'm thinking, I'm like, she seems familiar, though. I don't know why. I just, I don't know why. And I'm remembering my friend Stephen Hart, who you guys have heard about and has been on the show, had told me that he had talked to a fellow Caribbean American, um, and she's a podcaster. And I was like, I wonder if this is her. I wonder if this is her. And I, te- I text him. He's like, yeah, she's, she's coming there. Yes, her name is Carrie Ann. It's like, I think that's her. So I go up to you. At this afterwards, you were, you were talking to someone else. And I, I think I hopefully politely interrupted and I was like, hey. And of course, Stephen comes from nowhere and grabs you before I can. I'm like, I met her first because that was actually <laughs> the first time you were meeting him in person, right? Yes. Yes. That's the first time officially seeing Stephen in <laughs> person. And it's, it's I, I think it's just the the times you live in, you, you, you have these connections mm-hmm. that you've created online and you've never really seen that person in person. And I think we were in the session with um, Paychecks and Balances and those guys, they have such good chemistry. And when they said, oh yeah, it was years after we met face-to-face, we're like, what? Yeah. 
So yeah, it's it, it was good, and it was it was really good meeting you because there there was just this connection. You're just you. There's just something about you, Amy, and we were just like <laughs> having fun that whole time. So yeah. I'm I'm so excited that I did make it to podcast movement. Met you, and we had a great time just hanging out. We did. Um, and it just wasn't enough. And, you know, everything Stephen said was on point. And I was like, listen, you got to be on the show. And thankfully, you said yes. You weren't turned off by the scary stalker stuff, but you said no. yes. And here you are. And we didn't really get a chance to talk about your story, which is what I want to do today. One, right. I, it's stupid to say, you know, how long have you been Caribbean? Because you were born yes. in Jamaica. Yes, yes. Born in Jamaica, and I came to the U.S., wow, uh, I want to say 24 years ago, 23 or 24 years ago, I don't remember, but a long time. Now, did you come by yourself or you came with your family? So, yeah. So what was interesting, and I've recently discovered that what my mom did was very unusual for what usually happens culturally. So, um, and with a lot of immigrant families kind of, it works in a similar way. So my grand, my maternal grandfather has been living in the U S for many, many years. Um, and he decided to file for my mom. And so typically, you know, most people's experience is that the parents get here first, they, they get settled and then they send for the children. Right. My mom decided she wasn't doing that. She was coming and all her kids were coming at the same time. Wow. And um, so, yeah, I was on that American Airlines flight landing in JFK with my mom and my three brothers. And it was just a culture shock. It was it was it was just so different. Um, but there were things that were so familiar at the same time, which is the benefit of being in New York City, particularly Brooklyn. Um, they recently dubbed um, a major thoroughfare in Brooklyn, Little Caribbean, because it, there's just such a strong culture that's here. Um, so, yeah, she came here. And the couple years ago, I watched this one woman play. And I had to call my mom after that because it was so emotional. And I had to say, I really didn't understand the sacrifice, how challenging it was for her to be here and brought bringing us with her at the same time because she didn't have the benefit to be settled, to get to know the ropes, to to, to just know what it's like to live in America, particularly New York City. Mm-hmm. And so we were all figuring it out at the same time. And everyone said, you know, your mom did such a courageous thing, but you know, I'm a teenager. I'm like, courageous. You brushed whatever. it off. I mean, probably. Right. And, and, and it was, it's listening to other people who had this effect, like they call, they're called barrel children, because what happens is, you know, when they're here, there's these big shipping containers that, you know, the parents sent back home to the Caribbean or whichever island you're from with things to support. So there's, whether it's school supplies, whether it's food stuff to, to support the child that they left back on whichever island. And my mom didn't do that. She was not leaving her children in the country. And so for me, um, as I'm older and as a mom, I appreciate the sacrifice that she made and the challenges that, you know, she experienced some of which I scoffed at because, you know, I'm the hot headed teenager who wants to tell it like it is. And she, um, 
you know, she would quote a very popular Jamaican saying that um, when your hand is in the lion's mouth, you have to take your time and pull your hand out. If I had said it in the Jamaican way, no one would understand it. Wait, wait, wait. I probably have like one or two Jamaican listeners. So why don't you go ahead and say it Jamaican way? Okay. Um, when your hand in lion mode, take time, pull your hand out. So basically it's like, you know, the lion is really that, um, the, the, it's in the, the power position. Mm-hmm. You have your hand in this lion's mouth. And you want to get it out and you have to just take your time and pull it out. And so whatever position that we were in at the time that I felt, you know, we shouldn't be in this position. Right. She was like, I get it. We shouldn't be, but we are. So in the meantime, let's just, we'll, we'll figure it out slowly to get ourselves out of it. And now I can say, I appreciate the things that she did to, to get us here and to make sure that we had a life and we didn't have to, to go through things that my friends had to go through. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we weren't without challenges, but you know, to have friends that I'd rather deal with your situation than my mom leave me back home for years. And then I come here and live, you know, because also this disconnect in the relationship because you're not physically there and just other social things that happen. So your mom definitely, I mean, kudos to her. That's a very brave decision to make. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you're right. Immigrate immigrants oftentimes came first, settled, made something, so that when they brought their kids, it was okay. Right. And right. your mom took all of you into this unknown situation. I was like, "We're a family. We're going to stick together, and we're going to figure it out." Figure it out. Yes. And in some cases, being the oldest and the teenager and the the smart one. Um, as, as, as they would say, you know, I, I figured out the ropes much quicker. Um, um, especially when it came to college and financial aid, that was just so foreign to my mom. And there was a lot of cultural things that we had to work through because this concept of loans was just something that she was like, I, we don't do that. (laughs) Like, what is that? And, um, student loans and all of that good stuff. So it was, it was, there were, there were some good moments because also what happened, um, because now I went from a situation where, you know, even though I was a teenager in Jamaica, I would go home and there was someone home, whether it was my grandmother or my mom was home to coming here and I'd go home and no one was home until much later in the evening. And it was almost like, what is this? So I, I then had to do things that I never had to do when I went home in Jamaica. So I got home. Now I'm cooking because I'm the first one who got home. So now I'm cooking because everyone else has to eat and I'm the first one home. Um, so, and, and what, and as a result of that, you know, the strictness that I experienced while living in Jamaica, my mom had to kind of relax that a little bit because now I had all these additional responsibilities when I mean relaxed it a little bit, it was probably like 1% relaxed. It wasn't like, oh, 50% do what you want to do. But she recognized that I needed a little bit more freedom in order to do the things that I needed to do as the oldest to help her take care of my brothers. And, you know, we were living with family at the time. And so, you know, doing your share of the responsibility because family, you are staying with family. Sure. Sure. And as you were growing up, you're trying to figure this stuff out, right? Your mom's figuring this stuff out. What yeah. did that do for any dreams you had? You know, I, I, I kept, 
there were certain things people kept saying to me that I just dismissed it. Um, they were like, you know, you're pretty ambitious or someone would call me the mother hen. And, you know, for, for me, I just saw that I didn't want to be treated a particular way. I wanted to have a certain level of control or power so no one could tell me to do or I wouldn't be in this position. So it was almost this drive to excel. And for a very long time, um, anything that I did or accomplished in school or in any extracurricular activities, I didn't accomplish them for myself. I did them for my grandparents who recently passed last November and this past June and my mom, because I recognized they had so much sacrifice and life was, it was just tough for them. And they didn't feel like, to me, it didn't seem like they were getting a win. So whatever I did was more of here, have this award, have this trophy, because this is all I can give you. And it looks like this is all that you're getting. So it was really the impetus for me to push, push, push even more to be, you know, better, to be successful, to let them feel like all the sacrifice and all this hard work and the whatever complex family situations that we're having were, were worth it because, oh, at least she's doing good. So it was definitely the driver for me to, to, to make sure that in whatever I do, I'm, I'm successful on my terms. And you're continuing to do that today by helping others through your carry on friends movement, right? I mean, what inspired that? So the inspiration for that was, um, you know, I've, I've been working in corporate for a very long time. So as a person of color working in corporate, um, I think I had my first real office job outside of a university setting. Cause I did have some, I worked while I went to, to college, but when I left and moved back to New York, my first real office job was 1920. And so being like usually one, the only person of color in a corporate space, it was sometimes very hard to figure out proper behavior or what's, what I should be doing or feeling understood. And so as I moved through, I, you know, I figured my way out. I, you know, my mom or my grandmother say, you're smart enough. You will figure it out. And as I went through, you know, I learned things and each step, each level presented its own challenges, but it was particularly in 2011, 12, where I was working as a paralegal manager, where it really came to a head for me, where I was just really having some challenges, not with my work products, but socially with people who thought I was one thing. And I'm like, that's not me at all. I'm just, I'm just really doing my work. Well, why would they think that? So immigrants as a whole, and I'm not, and and this is not just Caribbean Americans. I've been a part of association or, or, or other organizations who, um, who, who've helped immigrant women who've come into the country, try to adjust Mm-hmm. either find work in the U.S. or adjust to the new culture. And what was common and 
what is common is that the American work culture is different from what most of us come here to. So most of us grew up where you're supposed to be humble, you're supposed to do your work and not make noise, and you're just you're just heads down, you go to work, you leave, and that's it. And and that's kind of the realm I operate in. But in this particular job, there were people who were telling me that I was me. I hmm. I've never cursed at them, I didn't see a bad word. But apparently because I, I had like maybe that stiff upper lip where I was very quiet, it was very hard to figure out how to approach me. And my answers would be, you know, to the line, like, this is, this is what the rules said. We worked in legal. This is what the, the rules said. This is what you had to do. And when people didn't like my response, it was, I was mean. And I was like, I didn't lie. I wasn't rude. I, I guess I wasn't social enough for them. And I realized that this was an issue. And I realized that I wasn't the only one that was having this issue. Other people were having this issue. And so I just kind of wanted to create a platform to kind of, funny enough, I created it based on career stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think most of the content talks about entrepreneurship because I guess people are afraid to talk about it because it's such a pervasive issue where I remember I gave a, I was on a panel in 2000. 16. And someone said, you know, I wish I met you before. She quit a job because she got written up so many times where people said she was just, she was not pleasant and she was not cooperative. And she was like, I don't understand. I'm just doing my work. I answer people. It's one thing to settle in and to make friends on a high school level and just kind of go through culturally. But when you get into a work environment, there are all these other things that you're like, I didn't know I was supposed to, to do this. And it's a challenge when you, you're brought up you know, not bragging and boasting about what you've done. And you, you're, you're literally told just go to work, don't give any trouble and leave work. And the corporate work environment doesn't always operate like that. It's, it's more of a social setting and the brokerage of your relationships with each other. And most of us weren't cultured that way. So I started it just to kind of be an outlet to kind of address some of these things. And I wanted to see a reflection of me, a professional, you know, Caribbean American and just other challenges that I was facing as a mom, just being in work, knowing when to, to, you know, cause there's always this feeling like, I know I should quit this job, you know, or I start a job and two weeks later, another offer comes and you're like, should I take this offer? And you're like, I just started this job. <laughs> I just got this one. Yeah. And, and I always find that months down the road, I'm like, I should have taken that job. So it's always like, how do you, how do you evaluate these things? Um, especially the, the, the double side of that is being a woman. And I've, I've learned that in a lot of cases where culture to kind of, you know, for, for where culture to have relationships and our jobs or relationships, and we don't want to break up with this job, you know, even though we, you know, we're hoping it's going to turn around. I've long since changed that view. But that's a great analogy, though. I got to say, that's a great analogy. It's very accurate. You know, but it was, you know, like, I don't want to leave and this is going to get better. And, you know, it shouldn't get better. It does happen. I think the thing that um, I'm working on is really the timing, because almost instinctively, we know when it's time to leave. It's just a matter of um, the timing. You know, we either time it we, we decide we, we make that decision too late or too early. 
and and then things just go off. So the timing is what I'm I'm trying to work at, but instinctively we know when it's no longer a good fit, just like with any other relationship. And so I wanted to create those conversations. So even though I created it to be mostly a career focused issue, the content has mostly been towards entrepreneurship. And the part of the reason for that is I know firsthand that when you are a career professional coming onto a podcast or a show is very challenging because you know, when I was doing interviews as a manager, um, I had to get permission from the company because you're representing the company. So it's very hard to get professionals on the show because no matter what, it's going to seem like there's an association with the actual company that's hiring you. So it turns out that most people talk about their entrepreneurship pursuits and managing a side hustle with, with a full-time job. And, but it's, and I'm glad it pivoted that way because most people are trying to do, you know, we live in a gig economy. Yeah. So that's kind of what it's evolved to kind of helping people get through or recognize failure as a part of life because culturally we're, we're told failure is not an option. And so when that happens, it's really a challenge for people to kind of use that experience to, to, as a building block for the next experience. So that's some of what's happening on the platform right now. And it's great. I mean, what has the reception been like after you created this platform? I mean, you did it because you saw a need and that's great. But now how is it being received? So I had to find my footing, you know, and I keep saying, you know, Field of Dreams was a really good movie with Kevin Costner. But when you build it, people won't come. People have no <laughs> idea who you are. It's, like, not, it's not movie magic. Yeah. No, I wish it was. No, it's not. And it also... For every time you think you know something, there you 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 put yourself in a situation that makes you realize how much you don't know. So for the first couple years, it was for the first year it was just a blog, and I started the podcast in 2015. And I spoke to other people who were, you know, there were more experienced bloggers and influencers at the time, and. I was really out the gate. I made it very clear this platform is for Caribbean Americans because I understood at a very basic level from working in legal and working with other people. The legal industry is a great example of a niche because you have some people who specialize in injuries and um, insurance and wills. And so it's it's very I, I had a good example that you just needed to focus on a particular topic or niche or niche. So I was very clear from the gate. And some of these influencers says, well, the topics aren't the topics aren't so different from topics. So take off the Caribbean American. And I did it because I figured they were more experienced and I knew what they were talking about. But I felt like a part of me was just like, mm, I don't know. And, and so for a couple months, I felt like I was just fluttering in the air because yes, this t- the topics I cover are, are topics any show could cover, but I felt like what I brought was I was able to, you know, like I did at the top of your show, I was able to throw in one of these common sayings. I was able to, to speak in Patswa a little bit. And I knew that at least a few people in the audience would understand. And so I went to a conference two years ago and I met Paul C. Brunson and there was this other woman, Jewel Figurius, and she, she's since passed. 
And they were like, oh no, honey, mm-mm. this is who you are. This is what you focus on. This is what you should be doing. And that was like more wind beneath my wings to just kind of focus. And the more I got hyper-focused on the audience and kind of trying to convey their experience through my eyes, that's kind of when I noticed that people were a lot more receptive. There was some traction, but that's, I, I can pinpoint that moment where the show improved, the quality of the show improved, because now I, I was no longer second guessing whether I should focus on this market. It was the thing that I should be doing because it's me. And I didn't have to guess what I'm thinking or feeling because I was part of the audience too. Yeah. So reception has been, ha- has been good. We're not a big show. And so we have a niche audience. They're smaller, but they're, they engage more and they engage differently. And I had to come to terms that what other people were doing and how other shows were performing and how other shows had their audience engaging was just not how my audience would engage. And I would, I remember I would ask other people, like, maybe I need help. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And it took a long time for me to come to the conclusion. And my friend tells me all the time, she's like, you're the expert. You know this audience. No one else could tell you about this audience because you you live it. You know how they are and just accept that. They're not going to behave like the audience of Pat Flynn or someone else. That's just not how they behave. And so you just have to to figure out within their behavior patterns what you can use for your for the show and the platform and your benefit. So that's been the challenge for for me. Just kind of, you know, I don't want to be the first. My friend says I'm the first. I being the first is hard because you make the mistakes. Right. And 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 you're figuring things out and people are watching. I'm all I'm I'm a learner. I'm always trying to figure out I, I learn from other people's mistakes and but I don't have that template. So I'm figuring this out as I go along. And sometimes it's hard because there's just no, you know, I, I try one method, doesn't work, and so I have to come back and I don't I you know, sometimes it's frustrating. I, I guess hindsight, I could go back and see how, you know, I've learned a lot from that. And that experience is what I use to to tell other people, if you're doing something new, you just have to, you have to go through it. Just try it. If it doesn't work, you just have to try again. See, I, and- I love that you came to that uh, acceptance or realization, however you want to describe it, that you have to cater to your audience. Yeah. Because you're right. I mean, there are the Pat Flynn's, the John Lee Dumas's of the world who are doing their thing and it's going well, but that's for their audience. Yes. There may be a small overlap between your audience and theirs, but truly your audience is unique for that reason, for a specific reason. As with anybody else who chases their dream, your dream is your dream. Yes. And the other thing that I, I noticed was when you're in something, you think that it is everyone's doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows about them. Like my audience have no idea who Pat Flynn, like maybe 1% of them who know who Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas are. They're like, I I, I don't know who they are. Isn't that funny? Yes. So, so a lot of times as a podcast, you're thinking, Oh my God, everyone's listening to all these things. 
the overlap is very, very few. Like very few people know who the other people are. They're not always listening. They they don't and they really don't care. They really don't care. But because we're in the space, we think everyone's doing it. We we start filtering and editing ourselves. And the audience suffers because of that. And I've, 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 I've dealt with that a lot of times or my friend. So I have, um, a partner, she keeps saying, you think that we all know. I mean, I, you, you're the one who told me about John Lee Dumas. I don't listen to John Lee Dumas. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so that this is her. And she's like, I've listened to a couple episodes of Pat Flynn, but I can't do Pat Flynn for a whole hour, <laughs> you know? So you know, it, it, having that conversation was more of an eye opener because you, you feel like what you expose yourself to is exactly what your audience exposed yourself to. And you, you put yourself under this immense pressure to be different, to be, you know, to reinvent the wheel. And sometimes you're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no point of reference. I can commit to your show. I don't know about any other show. And that's it. So I, I had to come to that realization that not because I was immersed in the culture of being a podcaster and just the goings on that my audience is actually the same because they expect me to be the expert, even though I'm learning along with them, they expect me to learn and be the expert. And if they want to learn more, they'll go ahead. But for right now, they'll just take what I say and they, they're just moving on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing. When people focus on what they're trying to do, we put so much pressure upon ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 98% of that is unnecessary. Yes. Yes. Right. It, but, but it doesn't go away even yeah. after you realize it's unnecessary. It's, it's, it's like reminders. I don't think, I don't think anyone gets it right. Every day, someone else, I'm sure Pat and John, they have their, their, their peers that keep saying, no, no, no. You know, you go through your own doubts and your own thing of, you know, I have to reinforce a behavior like, you know what? So for me, I create these deadlines and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this by a particular time. And I start freaking out when this time is approaching and I'm not done with what I need to do. And one day my friend said to me, who gave you that deadline? I said, what do you mean? Who gave you that deadline? I did. So who else knows you have this deadline? Mm, nobody really. <laughs> and they're like, so what's the issue? Just change it and move on. <laughs> the obvious answer is, is staring you in the face. Yes. And yet. Yeah. It's this commitment that we have like, yes, I'm going to do it at this time. I want to stick to it. I want to do it. And not being, I, I keep saying kind, because really it's the kindness. Because if so, if Amy, if I said to you this morning, Amy, could you give me five, 10 minutes? I'm going to be a little late. You're going to be sure. But if it was the flip side, I'm like, I said 10 o'clock. Yeah. I got to do this at this time. You know, I told her I'd be there. I yes. need to be there. Yes. So we don't show enough compassion to ourselves the way we would show to others. And so we find ourselves in this position of being extremely hard on ourselves and creating, you know, really high stress situations that, you know, sets us back weeks, months, and maybe years from something that we've set out to do. And so another perfect example is, you know, I, I take a lot of notes and I have these conversations and I map out things that I'd like to do. And two years later, I'm looking at this list and I'm like, I'm still really doing this. 
I haven't accomplished everything on this list. This is still the path. I did a lot of zigzags and I asked myself why, because I get distracted because Amy and Steven are doing great things and maybe I'm not, this thing isn't great. So I'm going to deviate from this and do something greater only to come back to that original plan. And, and, and that's because, um, we just don't give ourselves enough credit that we're just at all times, we're doing the best we can. And it's in this age, it's easy to get distracted by bright and shiny objects, but also, you know, just, just having other people around us to, to, um, refocus us in like, no, just do this. So I, I've been, I've been saying this a lot, like what we planned in 2014, we still haven't executed. And the other fear is someone is going to do this before me. It doesn't matter. If someone else does it before you. Great. You just do it different. Cause I wish I had a template, but now I'm trying to figure out things on my own. So it, it's, it goes back just having a little bit more compassion with myself is something that I'm constantly working on because, you know, I, I, I would give anyone else like, sure, you need some extra time. Go ahead and do it. Why can't I do the same with myself? Why can't I allow myself the time I need to just, just take, just take a mental break. So yeah, it's, it's constantly reminding yourself of these things. Cause these are habits that we've had for a very long time and it's not going to change overnight. Oh no, absolutely not. And the interesting thing that you said, you know, about how you look at other people and their shiny objects and you can get distracted or just even intimidated probably by how they're doing by looking at other people in their journey yeah. The thing is, we don't know what's going on for those people in their journey or how how it's going or how they might be doing two to three interviews a night to do yeah. it. Or the fact that, you know, they're really not as doing as great as you think they are. Right. All the time. So my right? grandmother. Yes. So I'm going to introduce another saying <laughs> that my grandmother would always tell me. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting that I I harped on this for such a long time. But this didn't really bother me as much until I got into blogging and podcasting, because then there, there, there's this bubble that's bursting around that about, Oh, you could blog and podcast and make millions and thousands of dollars and blah, blah, blah. So, um, as a podcaster, I laughed. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Right now. So my grandmother, as a child growing up, you know, I being jealous of someone else was just not, my grandmother would say, no, don't be jealous of them because you don't know what they have to go through to get it. And that was something that stood in my mind. And that still stays in my mind when it comes to things that are not blog or podcast related. But now I'm, I'm saying it applies to everything, blog and podcast included. So it, it's, it's this thing like, you know, yes, that person is doing how many interviews a night. Am I going to sacrifice my sleep? Oh no, I can't do that right now. And, and then there's the flip side of that where there's this language around I'll sleep until I, when I die or yeah. till, like, no, I'm good. I'm not, a, I'm not about that life. There are so many who are not me. I can't like, I, I, the reason why I know that's not me because professionally that was my life. I worked in litigation and in litigation, there are times when you have to work all nighters in order to prepare for a brief that is due to the judge 
you have to prepare for trial the next day. So I've lived that life where it was just like, I'm, you know, people would come into work the next day and they're like, oh, you're in the same clothes from yesterday. And I'd go home, take a shower and come right back to work. So I know what that did to me and my personal relationships and my health. You know, I gained the most weight you know, the relationship with my daughter and, you know, family and friends. And I knew that wasn't for me. And, and so my career strategy has always been, I want to move away from that where I'm not in a position. I'm not, a, and, and that's how I strategically moved away from being a paralegal because at the time, you know, late nineties, early two thousand, when you had all these, you know, white collar crimes and people were doing insider trading, the type of litigation was just booming. I had less time for myself and the all nighters and it was just ridiculous. So I know I didn't want to do that. So no one could shame me into going to bed that, oh, you go to bed too early. Great. I get sleep. I don't care. You have um, a nice bed, guys. I mean, if you yeah, have the, if you are benefit, uh, if you're blessed enough to have a nice bed and just sit in it and wrapped up in a nice comforter, you don't want to leave. Yes. So here's another thing I would say, you know, it's a, it's a, it's another Jamaican or, you know, when I grew up, so they're like, what you, Oh, I'm going to this party. I'm like, no, I'm at the head to pillow jam. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've never like, heard nope. that. <laughs> like, yep. Nope. I'm good. Head to pillow jam. Like this is just, you know, yeah. for me, like I, I, I just want to be in bed and not have to worry about is so, so yeah. I, I don't get shamed into the all because I, I had to live. I had no choice. I, I was paid to do that. So I don't know why I would use that as like an option for me to do. And don't get me wrong. If you have to do sprints or you have a deadline to me and you have to stay up a little late, I can do that. But not on a consistent basis. That is just not a sustainable situation for myself mentally, physically, or one that could work for my family. I just need to go to sleep because if I don't sleep, no one here is happy. I'm the most miserable person. So, yeah, I don't I don't I don't let this whole concept of, you know, working hard and no sleep I, that is not a healthy lifestyle to sustain. It's just not. It's not. And, you know, the thing I think that people should take from your story, especially is, you know, you have to do what you have to do and be true to yourself and not yeah. look at other people. Yes, absolutely. Right. Ab- That's what it, I'm getting. Because at the end of the day, you have to be able to say, I see myself in there. Um, and not say like who was that person and 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 when i when when you think of how you want to live your life you want to be able to say you know i wasn't doing this because amy or steven said it i did it because i wanted to do it and i saw myself somewhere in there doing this i saw my own little flair right so think of you know um the baked macaroni and cheese or some dish that your mom or your grandmother did, right? You start to add your own little flair to it. You didn't just want it to be mommy's dish or grandma's dish. It's soon you, 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 you start doing it to a point where, you know, it's Carrie's macaroni and cheese to the point where the people who taught you are like, Oh my goodness, this is better than mine. So it's, it's recognizing that, you could take inspiration from other people because 
it's natural and it's good to be inspired by others, but you have to make it your own. You have to add your own pizzazz or whatever it is. You have to, I call this carryfy it. So you got to Amyfy it. You got to Steven Fy. You got to whatever Fy. You got to make it your own because that's what all artists do. I remember reading this book, Steal Like an Artist, and even chefs. They they teach the same recipe, but each student that goes to Le Cordon Bleu or something, they make it their own. And that's, I, I don't think, I think that's what's missing. Everyone says the next Steve Jobs. I don't want to be Steve Jobs. I want to be Carrie. I want to be Carrie Ann. I want to be Carbs because that's my initial. I want to be me. I Yes, I, I, I'm inspired by Steve, but I want to be me. I would never want to be compared to the next Jordan, you know, like that, that's too much pressure on someone and it doesn't allow me to be me because you're always putting me in the construct of a Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan was in a different time, different NBA rules, different everything. And you can't compare me to someone who had different rules from what I'm now operating in. And so it's, it's, it's really important to be inspired, but make it your own. I love that. I love that. Now, Carrie, Carrie, before we let you go, I have to ask, what is one thing, one action you would tell someone who's chasing their dreams to take? One action. Write it down. Ooh. Write it down. Write it down and make it visible. And even if it's not visible, write it down, date it, timestamp it. I'm... I haven't been good on my journaling lately, but, but I, I, I can always go back and see when I wrote something down at a particular date and a particular time. And I'm Amy, I'm always amazed. I'm like, I keep saying to myself, I was so smart <laughs> or, you know, I'd write something and I'd be like, this is so eloquent. I wrote this. And, and the, and those are the moments that help you to realize your, your greatness everyone has greatness in them because sometimes you're so busy comparing yourself to other people and you read something and you're like, wow, what insight. And then you look at where you are now and you're like, I wrote this a year ago, two years ago, and I'm still here. And you're, so just write it down. And whenever it comes back to you, go back to that and not just write it down, kind of write down why, what are you feeling? Like you, 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 you know, like I did, and it doesn't matter. So I wrote down years ago in this green book that um, I want to have like a particular SUV and I wanted it to have like this thing and this gate, you know, the, 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 the car had to have this space. And I explained why I wanted it. It wasn't enough to say, oh, I want a big house, four bedrooms, five bathrooms, whatever. I explained why I wanted it. Um, I'm, I'm all about my family and I had my nieces and my nephew and I wanted the car to be big enough that they could all fit in and we drive because before then we'd all have to figure out how we were going to squish into a car versus now I want this SUV where we could all be in the car and comfortable and we could drive and we could still fit the luggage and the grocery and just not feel miserable commuting from one point to the other. So my advice would be to write the dream down. And, and, and write from the emotional aspect, like why, why would you want this dream and how does it make you feel or how, how do you think it would make you feel? And 
whenever I do go back and look at these things, I would say, no, it really didn't make me feel this way. Or it also could be a reminder of why I'm doing this. So if I'm, if I've realized in the pursuit of this dream that I'm not feeling this way, then I'm doing something wrong. So write it down. That is the advice that I gave. And by the way, we got an SUV, not the one exactly that I wrote down, but I think one that, and this is the other thing why it's important to write it down because when we write it down, we are, we're specific and you should be very specific as to what you want. But sometimes when you have to evaluate the specificity of the dream versus the experience of why you wanted that dream, one or some, if you get both, that's great. But if you get one of the two, that is still a win. So I didn't get the specific SUV I wanted, but I did get the experience that I wanted from the SUV that we eventually got. And guys, that was my friend, Carrie Ann Reed Brown. So stoked you were able to listen to her story and the lessons she learned from it. And she's absolutely right. You got to keep chasing your dream and make it your own. Don't make it mine. Don't make it your best friends, your parents, whatever. It has to be your own. Okay. So write it down. Like she said. You guys can learn more about Carrie Ann and find any notes and links over on the show notes page at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 115. That's episode 115. Until next time, guys, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at chasingdreamshq. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.